Good morning. Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Ah, there it is. So how are we? How was, uh, how was Christmas? Some of you are stoked that your family is still here. Others of you are stoked that they're gone. And uh, glad to see you guys all. I just realized that I lost something very important. Oh, well, it's all good. Um, all right. So, yes, we are going to two services. And uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, and right now it's actually nice. All the, I guess all the college students went home. There's plenty of room. We can all kind of lounge out. But, um, so, uh, all right. I'm trying to figure out. There was something I was going to say, something I was going to go over, but I'm just... I forget, so I'm not going to worry about it. It must not have been important. Um, First Peter, we are in, uh, this is our sixth sermon in, in First Peter. Today, the passage is, this, this guy, his, his Greek is incredibly complicated. His, uh, his writing style is, is incredibly deep. He, it's the most impressive, really, Greek in all of Scripture here. And um, so, it's, it's, I hope it doesn't turn out like Genesis, where it takes like a year to get through. I'm not planning on that happening. Um, but you may have noticed we went from doing like 40 verses to like, one half. And so uh, we're doing that again today. And so there's a lot of ideas that we seem to have taken for granted uh, in, in sort of modern Christianity. We've, we, um, I, I, I think over the last um, few generations, there's been this attempt to make scriptures so easy to understand that things have lost a lot of meaning. And so a lot of this is, is that we're doing every week is sort of my attempt to Put a lot of the lost meaning back into these things. Um, a lot of the context, a lot of the uh, ancient sort of Greek mindset with which these were written, and when you put them in context, they, they tend to mean something totally different, but something really incredible. And we're bringing it into today. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this this passage and sort of pull some of the stuff out that maybe maybe we've missed. Okay, so let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that you would. Um, calm our hearts and our spirits and that you would uh, help us to be focused on you this morning. That you would let all the stresses of the holiday season or all the stresses of life um, be put aside for a little while. Um, Some people here um, had very heavy holidays. Maybe this one was different than the others. Um, Maybe there was something that, that made it very difficult. And I ask right now that you would uh, shower grace down upon us in your mercy and your joy and your peace that we would be able to push things aside and just focus on you and hear from you and hear what you want us to bring into our, all, all of our individual circumstances in life. We love you. We ask that you would bless us with your knowledge and your wisdom and uh, help us to become more like you this morning. In your name, amen. All right, so our passage starts off uh, saying this, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Now, um, so he's talking to a group of Christians who are on the run from uh, Emperor Nero and his Roman minions, and they are trying to track down all the Christians and um, arrest them because they're being blamed for a giant fire that swept over half of Rome. If you've never heard this, 
then um, you need to go back and listen to our very first sermon in First in Peter, where I kind of laid out the context in which this book was written. Um, and so these Christians are running, and they're, they're in persecution, and Peter is writing to them um, about how they are different, how they are to live holy lives, and how they are to live lives that are separate from everyone else in the world at the time. Um, we talked last time I spoke, about two weeks ago, before Christmas, uh, about the idea of living a holy life, what it means to be holy. Uh, the idea is being different. It's hagios. It's not, uh, it's not living from um, the fleshly desires that you have. It's living from the spirit of God that's within you and choosing that path. And so now he goes from that to talking about this and having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, when you read this, um, several of the words here over the years have lost some meaning. And I want to get that back. Um, the word souls. We tend to look at the word souls um, in... in in the New Testament, and we assume it's talking about that spiritual side of us. We tend to look at human beings as having two parts, a body and a soul. Um, And that's all well and good, but the ancient Greeks didn't think like that. And so when you read these passages of scripture, you need to think like a Greek, all right? Um, So the soul part here, uh, when you, otherwise, when you read having purified your souls, it looks like he's saying, and now that you yourself have purified your spiritual side, and have made yourself right with God, it sounds like religion. It sounds like they did all the work. Um, And the reason it sounds like this when you read it in modern-day English is because we're missing something. And so I'm going to lay this out for you. Um, The Greeks looked at the human body as having three parts, not two. Um, They looked at, uh, they they believed we had what's called a pneuma, a spirit, a suke, a soul. It's where you get the word uh, psyche today. It's sort of your mind. It's where you think from. It's your awareness, your consciousness. And then a soma, a body. And so they believe the human, the human um, sort of self is made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. We tend to hear soul and spirit and think they're the same thing. And that's fine if they are today, if that's how we use that language. But in the scriptures, it's, and not even all the scriptures, it's, there's certain passages where they're thinking like this and certain ones where they're not. And so in-depth study of original languages, you, if you don't think it's important, I want to point you to this because it really can throw you off if you don't look into some of the ancient words behind these things. And so um, let's talk about how these things interact. Um, Soma. Um, The ancient Greeks believed that plants only had one part. They were a soma. They had a body. And that's all. They grew. They died. They grew. They died. Nothing else. They didn't think. They didn't interact with anything. They just grew and died. So plants have one part. Um, When you move forward, you move up the chain a little bit, you get to animals. Animals have a soma, and a suke. Again, it's where we get our word psyche. It's um, the part of you that is aware, that can think, that can uh, knows what they want to eat, that is aware of dangers and reacts. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that we today, and they called it the soul, Peter calls it the soul, um, and it's interesting today that we tend to look at, um, even Christians, um, sort of like this. We sort of look at us like this. But the Greeks and, and Peter and the apostles looked at us sort of like this. Human beings have a soma, a body, a suke, a soul, and a pneuma, a spirit. The spirit is that spiritual part in us, that, that part that knows that there is something else, that part that is aware of um, meaning and purpose and love. If we were just animals, we would have no concept of meaning, of purpose. We would have no concept of reasoning. We would have no concept of good and bad. Animals don't have a sense of morality. We do. Animals don't have a sense of justice. We do. And so the Greeks believe that we have 
an extra thing. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis, the, the brilliant quote from him that you've probably heard before, you are not a body, you are a soul. You have a body. And so I want you to think about this because this is really interesting. There are plants, there are animals, and there are us. And the thing that sets us apart from everything else in the world is our pneuma. We have a spirit. God is a spirit. And so the thing that makes us separate from the rest of creation is that part that is in God. God doesn't have a body, and God doesn't have a sort of... I mean, God has a soul and a spirit. So it's this interesting thing that God is is his own unique thing, and, and we have this part, and we are somewhere in the middle. And so when you think about it, it's, 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 it's really incredible. We share something with God. That's really, really special. Um, and so God takes on the form of a body. God takes on the soma and the suke, and so all of this. And so um, hopefully this will help you understand where Peter is coming from when he talks like this. And maybe you've never heard this, but this is how the ancient Greeks viewed us and the New Testament, much of it is written from this perspective. And it's very important to understand this. Um, and so, all right. Um, the scriptures talk a lot about how the spirit is that part of us. That one of the things that makes us so different from creation is that we have the spirit. And this spirit is the part of us that is seeking for other things. Seeking for something else that is not physical. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 puts it like this. Uh, for the spirit, the pneuma, searches everything, even the depths of God. And so there is this part inside of you that is always searching, always looking. Um, not like an animal who's just looking for food and shelter and to stay alive and looking out for predators. There's something in us that is looking for something else. Something that's very hard to describe. We call it meaning. And there is not really a definition to meaning. We, we know that there is things that will make us very happy, that will give us purpose in life and fulfillment, but it's very hard to nail down exactly what they are. And that, that spirit inside of us, that pneuma, is the part of us that is searching for this. Um, there's a writer in the Psalms who um, describes that part inside of us, and, and he writes it like this, uh, Psalm 42, 7. He writes, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. It's interesting. We never think about... Um, the context in which oftentimes the actual writing took place in scriptures, like where, we never think about where was the writer when they wrote this. Um, there's, there's a part in, in the New Testament where Paul is writing a letter and he's literally chained to the wall and dipping a, like a pen in ink and writing a letter to these people. And so it helps a lot of times to picture where they were. And it appears that the writer of some of these Psalms was out in nature. Um, it appears that King David in his travels would stop by something and write a letter. And so here we have him... Uh, probably sitting by a waterfall. And he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfall. And so apparently, and perhaps you've had this moment in your life where you're sitting by something incredibly beautiful. And so the writer, King David, is sitting by a waterfall, listening to the roar of the waves, and he is sort of overwhelmed. And there's this part inside of him that animals do not have that is awakened and it, and it calls out for something bigger. And it says deep, that deep part inside of me is calling out for deep. It's calling out for something else that is, uh, that is out there that is, that is really, really deep. At, and it, it says, and what awakened this was the roar of the waterfall. Um, this is a really unique thing. And perhaps you felt this if you've ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon or if you've ever witnessed a tornado. Or there, it, it awakens something inside of you that, that is, they, the scriptures call it the deep inside of you. 
and it says it, it is calling out. To, there's apparently something there. It's calling out. And when you're calling out, you're expecting an answer. And so there is this sense in which something inside of us at the sight of beautiful, powerful things is calling out and expecting an answer, and there's no answer. And calling out and expecting to be connected. In other words, there's something we're supposed to be connected to. Um, there's this connection that is supposed to be there, and scriptures say that it is broken. They, there's all kinds of ways the scriptures talk about this connection, this deep being broken, and now it is searching everything. It is searching the depths. It is searching for meaning in life. Um, the prophet Isaiah um, takes this description of that part inside of us that is broken and separated, and he describes it, he puts it in context of something that would be very ubiquitous in their day. Um, he describes it as the relationship between a shepherd and the sheep. And he says, um, basically, you know, the, the, the shepherd is the one who leads the sheep through their life, who takes them daily to food, to water, leaves them to shelter. He protects them. He brings them places to frolic and play, lets them know that they are at peace. It is a, a perfect description. This is how the ancient people described. When, you, when we ask how God, ask uh, just modern people, you know, describe God. Well, God is all-powerful. We use big words, omnipresent omniscient. We use big words like this. If you were to ask an ancient Jew, the Eastern mindset, they would use a picture, a word picture. Well, God is my shepherd. God is like a, a chick that gathers her hen, a hen that gathers her chicks under her wings. God is, and they would, they would name these things that would describe the attributes of God. And so prophet Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so he describes us as sheep that had someone leading us through our life, giving us everything we ever needed and giving us peace. And we have wandered away from that. And now we spend our days sort of looking for a shepherd, if you will, something to lead us through our life. We invent things like careers. We invent money. We invent fame. We invent all kinds of things. And instead of there being one thing to give us all the joy and fulfillment in our life, we just scatter it along lots and lots of things. And we have been, over the years, trying to fill this void, over the generations and thousands of years, trying to fill this void of the shepherd that was there to lead us. And we're trying to fill it with all kinds of little shepherds, and it's just not working out. And eventually, at some point, here we are today, and people are telling you, well, we've come to find out there is no shepherd. We've come to find out there is no Numa. We've come to find out that all you are is Soma and Suke. You are just like the deer. You are not special in any way. And so now we are at a place where we are walking around trying to suppress this feeling that we know we feel regularly throughout our lives that is calling out. There's an interview with Jane Fonda that was in Rolling Stone um, and, and they're asking her, she basically was writing, they're asking her about, you know, she said she became a Christian and, and they're asking her, well, uh, that's very interesting and different, rebellious, sort of. In other words, like, why would you become a Christian? That's really dumb. Um, and we've all heard that. Um, and, and he's sort of basically sort of badgering her. I described that. And she said, well, ba- there was this hum of reverence inside of me, this reverence humming. And, 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 I, and it's always been there, and it's been getting stronger. And so I started studying Jesus. And we've for so long been told, no, there's no shepherd. There's no pneuma. There's none of that. You actually don't have one. And, and so we've been suppressing it for so long that we've come to believe it. We've come to understand and think that there just is no pneuma at all. And so we come to this verse 
right here, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, and you find Christians talking about things like truth and, and being pure and souls and obedience to the truth and sincere brotherly love, and these are things which, if they're right, if there's no, new, if there's no shepherd, then these things don't really apply. And, and, and this is, I mean, kind of a relatively new thing. I mean, if you look at his, the history of humanity, people have always believed that there's something else. And so now we're at a place where they're saying there's not. And I think a lot of people are, are starting to come out of this coma and they're starting to wake up and they're starting to get an understanding of, I, you, that's not right. There is something else. There's meaning and purpose in life. Um, otherwise, love is no different than like Mentos strapped in a Diet Coke. It's a chemical that's bubbling in your brain. That's it. It's a belch. Like there's no difference between love and burping. There's just not. It's a chemical reaction. That's what they're telling you. You have to understand this. Um, and so we have these words here like purified in souls and obedience. Um, and these are people that believe that we did have a spirit and that there is another spirit and we were meant to be attached to the spirit. And um, he says that actually living by this spirit, many of us who have learned to live by this spirit, many of us have actually been able to clean up our lives. And so when he says, having purified your souls, he's not saying that you, he's not talking about your pneuma, he's talking about your suke. So he's talking about your life, your mental state, your conscience, your interactions with other people. He's talking about how a lot of us who have found Jesus and have started following Jesus, um, we've actually been able to clean up our lives. And it's this incredible power that we've been able to tap into. And maybe you've seen this. Maybe you know people who were just druggies and were a wreck and were addicts. And then somehow they, one day they cleaned up and you're like, what happened? And they're like, well, I found Jesus. All right. Awesome. It doesn't make any sense. But the fact is, Christians have always found this. Human beings have always found that there's something about Jesus and his message and the work that he did and his death and burial and resurrection that when you look into it and you think about it and you start meditating on it and you, you start reading and studying the ancient writings of these followers of Jesus, something happens to you and you, you start to find that you can actually clean up your life. Um, he talks about purifying your souls. You know what purification is? Um, so this is a gold bar that's 999.9% pure. That means it's 999.9% no, gold. It means there's like, I guess, a speck of something else in there. But it's, for the most part, gold. Uh, something that is pure is one thing. And so the people who have been able to purify their lives, um, these are people who aren't... Um, Kierkegaard writes about this idea. He's got a, he's got a book called... Uh, um, purity of heart is to will one thing. And if you read the title, you've pretty much read the book. The whole thing is all about that. Um, honestly, whoa, is that me? Um, and, so, and so the general idea is that, like, he takes the writings of James, and he says, well, something that is pure is one thing. And so a pure heart is focused on one thing. And so the life that, is, that has been made pure, that's because people have been focusing so much on living from the spirit, not from the body and not from the suke, not from the, suke the urges inside of you. Because we've all seen what happens when you live from your suke, when you live from these urges that you have to use everything wrongly in a way that God tells us we weren't designed to live that way. And so we live very promiscuous lives. We live very um, just lives that are filled with just searching for happiness in every little thing instead of our shepherd. And so the people who have been able to remove themselves and not live by their suke and live by their spirit, the spirit that is connected to God, 
These are the people who have been able to actually change their lives. And so one of the signs of being a follower of Jesus is that you are actually able to clean up your lives. It's called sanctification. The Spirit does this work, and over time, you look back and you're like, wow, I don't struggle with a lot of the same things I used to struggle with. And so there is something there. Um, Peter has a phrase for all those who have been able to live by the Spirit. Um, it's, it's a very interesting phrase. Um, I've underlined it here. It says in verse 23, since you have been born again. So he describes people who are able to live by the Spirit, connected to God, and live by these things and not these things over here. But by this, he says those people have been born again. Born in, into like a, a whole new way of life, a whole new control. Now, the, word, the phrase born again gets Christians into a lot of trouble today because there is a sense in which people tend to hear the word born again and they think it's a sect of Christianity. Like there's Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, born-agains, Lutherans. And then there's community church, which community church is, I'll let you in on a secret. Community church means stealth Baptist. Just a heads up. Um, and so they just don't want to admit it. It's like being agnostic and not wanting to admit you're atheist. Um, so um, born again is a phrase that, that gets people in all the I've even heard people say, oh, those are the born-agains. They shorten it. Oh, born, I'm a Christian. They're a born-again. Okay, we're different. But the problem is that raises something that reminds me of something Jesus said once. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's, there's not like a certain group of people that are the born-agains, and then there's like normal Christians who dance at parties. Um... <laughs> That's not how it is. Um, a Christian who, a person who is a follower of Jesus and who is living by the Spirit is able to clean up their lives and they um, are, are, the work of the Spirit is sanctifying them and, and they are living from a different power and they've learned to, to, maybe through spiritual disciplines, through practicing the spiritual disciplines, have learned to not live by all, this, all, all of these things, these urges that we have. Um, they've been able to have a very purposeful and meaningful life and they recognize what happens when we live by this over here. Um, and we've all seen this. People who are living by their urges all the time tend to destroy their relationships, their families, their jobs. They tend to destroy their life. Just do whatever they want, whenever they want. No, no thinking of consequences. It's just, what do I want right now? Like a dog who sees the turkey on the Thanksgiving table and just runs for it. All right? The future, he's not thinking about the future because he's going to get a beating. Um, I don't have a dog. I don't beat a dog. All right, sorry. Um, <laughs> So, there is a sense in which uh, you, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And so, and this raises a couple questions as well. What does this mean? Does this mean that, uh, is this talking about the afterlife? Is this talking about everyone who, um, who doesn't look at everything a certain way? Is, you know, is it, um, and so there's, there's a lot of words here that, again, have been really misconstrued. I want to talk about kingdom of God. I want to talk about that real fast. Because... Jesus said, if you are born again, if you do live by the Spirit of God, if you do end up being reconnected into this through the work of Jesus, and we're going to get to that, um, then you can see the kingdom of God. Now, usually when you mention kingdom of God, in the same way that they can misconstrue born again and soul, they misconstrue the idea of kingdom of God. They think it's about heaven. They picture everyone's wearing white and there's harps and wings and clouds. It's out there. That's not, that's actually not even biblical. That's not Christianity. That's not kingdom of God. Um, the kingdom of God. Um, the kingdom of God is referring to everything that is under the control of God. 
The word kingdom comes from an ancient idea, kingdom. They used to believe that, that the world was this, uh, there was this dome that's called the firmament and it was a solid dome and that God sat on a throne on top of it. This is thousands of years ago. Um, and so we have this word, they called it the king, king's dome. It came to be domain, the king's domain. And even in the Roman empire, they say this is the king's domain as in he is over that. He rules over that. See that? And so, and so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is anything that is under the rule of God, anything that has been reconciled to him that he is in control of that, that is under his rule. And so when we come to Jesus, we are reconciled to God through his, his death, his sacrifice on the cross, and his resurrection. And we become, what is it called, citizens of the kingdom of God. Our hearts are plugged back into the spirit of God. We receive um, guidance and encouragement, and we are filled, and we receive power to overcome some of these other things. And a lot of you have felt this, because that is you, and you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Um, and so it's when things are as they should be. Things are reconciled to God. Things are at peace. Uh, things are responding to his love, living in the way uh, in which all things were created to be. Um, one who is born again is one who is plugged into that. One who is reconciled to God and following him and walking in the way that he is empowering you to be. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you can see. When, when Jesus says you can see the kingdom of God, it means that you you are now suddenly aware of what holy living, of how important holy living is for the world, how healing it is. You're suddenly aware of the effects of sin in the world, on, on the earth, um, in relationships, in families. You are suddenly aware of just how important spirituality is, whereas you used to say, well, that's just spirituality. It's just make people feel good. Suddenly, you can see the kingdom of God. You can see things are... on their way to something, either good or bad. And you can see that God is active in this world. And so suddenly you become very aware that holiness is a very healthy and important thing for the world. Suddenly you develop a hunger and thirst for righteousness, as Jesus calls it. Um, And so Peter goes straight from talking about having a pure life to talking um, talking about this. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And so two attributes of people that are born again, they tend to have this purifying life thing, sanctification, we call it. Um, They have a pure heart. They have a pure life. And and secondly, they tend to love one another from a pure heart. Again, if purity, again, let me put this back up here. If purity is to be one thing, then a pure heart is focused on one thing, love. Now, I want to put pure love into context because God is the one who exercises pure love and Peter is telling us to exercise pure love. And this is a really interesting thing because very few of us actually exercise pure love for our brothers and sisters. Um, next time, I want you to do something for me, homework assignment. Next time you, you find someone and they're just, they've just recently madly fallen in love with somebody and they're talking about how much they love them, you ask them, you love them? And they say, yes. Ask them the question, why do you love them? And they're going to answer the question in a specific way that you have probably answered before and that you probably think. But I want you to notice it in people. Um, they will say things like this. They make me happy. They make me laugh. They are just so sweet and loving. I love them because they are thoughtful. I love them because they are smart. I love them because, 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 because. And this seems really nice and really great and really sweet. Um, but that's not pure love. Pure love is one thing. It is what God exercises. Um, And imagine if someone asked God, why do you love them? 
Would God be able to say any of this about you? Would, would God really say, they just, they're just so great. They're good. That's why I love them. There's people, there's entire religions fashioned around the idea, God loves me because I please him. That is not Christianity. Christianity is centered around, God loves me because he loves me. Because he offers grace. He sees all of the things that are bad in me and he loves me anyways. And so pure love, actually Peter said it a few verses back. He said, having a heart that is fully focused on grace. And so pure love is love that is made up of completely of grace. Now, a lot of you have never heard this and this is surprising to you because you tend to love people in your life because of what they offer you. You tend to... um, shower love upon people as long as they are reaching those expectations that you have for them. A lot of you know that other people's love for you is fully dependent on their expectations for you and that you have to meet these expectations otherwise they get mad and they don't love you anymore. Some of you have blacklisted people in your life because they didn't meet your expectations. And I want you to think about how human beings love. I want you to think about how God loves Human beings tend to love from, not from their spirit, but from their suke. That is not pure. Um, Rubbing shoulders with people because they are advantageous to your career. Um, All of this. This tends to be how human beings live. This is impure love. And Peter says, love them from a pure heart, something that is connected to God. A follower of Jesus, someone who is born again, will tend to have a pure life, and over time it will get more pure, and and will tend to love people purely. Um, A lot of you really struggle with loving people. Some of you are very bitter. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe you struggle with hatred of people. Maybe you struggle with racism. Maybe you struggle with whatever it is. It's relational, and, and... they, they just, I don't like those kind of people. They don't meet my expectations. There's entire people groups that we shun. Um, that is impure love. That is not the way Jesus loves us. And we would be in a terrible place if it was. So pure love is just love for people despite what they do. Not even giving a thought. Now, it doesn't mean you stay with the abuser. It doesn't mean that you let them keep hurting you. It's not that. It's this totally different way of you can separate yourself from the abuse but still really want what's best for them. Really want them to change. And oftentimes, this harshness with which you have to deal with people and this way in which you have to confront people and cut them off can be pure love. But it must be done with wisdom and it must be done from a place of I want them to be whole again. I want them to be reconciled. And so I say all this to, to get you to think about a couple things. Um, someone who is really born again, someone who's really a follower of Jesus is the person who understands that the work of Jesus reconciled them to God in a sense that he has reattached our soul to his, that deep part of us that's calling out for meaning and purpose and love and fulfillment has been reattached to the source of it. Scriptures, uh, one of the ways that they describe it is he is the vine, we are the branches. 
and he is feeding us and nourishing us and we bear fruit. And that fruit can be seen in people's lives. And so I want you to examine your life. I want you to examine if you really understand the gospel and if you really have let the gospel touch these parts of your life. And I want you to think about your relationships. Some of you, this week was Christmas and those relationships were kind of revealed that maybe you don't love people from a pure place. And maybe you need to repent of that and maybe you need to be constantly in prayer asking God, Lord, repair this. Repair my mind. Repair these relationships. Help me to love people, to look at them. When you really learn, when you study Jesus and you learn to look at people and love them because they are made in the image of God, because they are people. Not because of what they have done, but because of who they are. Children of God. And so, maybe you're here today and you're hearing all this for the first time and you're really intrigued by the message of Jesus and what Jesus is capable of doing. I would love to talk to you about that. Um, We're going to take some time and take communion. Um, This is a very important thing to our community. We take communion every single week. Um, It is a time when we quiet our souls and we repent of things that, that we need to repent of, things that we need to make right with God. It is a time when we ponder what Jesus did for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and how all of his suffering took place for our reconciliation, for the, for the repairing of our spirits, so that we don't have to live by our physical urges anymore, that, that we are not like everything else. We can live holy. We can be different. So our communion servers are going to be setting up around the room. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would ask that you not take communion. Um, but actually, I would invite you to become a follower of Jesus. And if you want to become a follower of Jesus this morning, I would welcome you to take communion with us. Um, if you need prayer, right through this, these double doors on the left, there's a room there, our prayer room, and, and there would be people there that would love to pray with you. Um, and I would love to stick around and pray with you as well. And uh, right now, just take some time. Focus on Jesus. Ask him to reveal the places in which you have not let the gospel touch, that you have not... Um, given over to God yet and that are still impure places that you're still allowing yourself to be led by your urges and by your suke and ask God to touch those areas with his love and, and, and help us to live a pure life in a way that is solely focused on the spirit of God and, and drawing from that so let's pray Father we love you I ask that you would uh Bring us to a a place of of honesty and full repentance. Fashion us in your image. I ask that you would uh, reveal to us things that are glaringly obvious in our life that we need to repent of. Help us to make that change. Give us the power to do that. Help us to understand that we have access to that power. That, That Paul told us that You are not far from us. You are very close. Help us to understand the words of Jesus when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Let us take everything that that we have power over and, and connect it to you. And live nourishing lives, live lives that are good and holy and that are for the benefit of those around us. Not our own selfish gain. We love you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. Forgive our sins. Forgive our trespasses. Make us whole again. In your name. Amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.